This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system. That is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 12 p.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 20th of March, 2020. This is episode 219 of Bitcoin and... If shit isn't weird enough for you, I, I I don't know what is, but let's just get right on into morning roundup. Bitcoin rally leaves stock in the dust. It's not like we haven't been telling you people this for freaking ever. <sighs> it is what it is. Uh, okay. Charles Bovaird is writing for Forbes. Okay. So this is no, we're not, you know, we're not doing... Right now, we're not reading like stuff out of the crypto sphere. Okay, this is like your regular run-of-the-mill mainstream shit. All right, so keep that in mind while we're reading this Forbes.com article. Okay, okay. This, where does it say when he wrote it? Yeah, it was sometime yesterday at about oh I don't know <laughs> about five thirty my time. Bitcoin prices surged today, climbing roughly twenty percent as the major stock indices experience substantially weaker gains. The world's most prominent digital currency rose to $6,393 around 1.45 p.m. Eastern. He says Eastern Standard Time. That's not correct. It's Eastern Daylight Time, right? Okay. According to Coindesk data, at this point, the cryptocurrency was up 19.8% for the day and had climbed more than 60% from its recent low of less than $3,900, where everybody was laughing at us. Ha 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 ha. It's laughing now, bitches. Uh, in contrast, major U.S. stock indices have not shown compelling gains today, with the S&P 500 index and the Dow Jones Industrial Average up less than 1% since opening, Google Finance data shows. Investing in crypto. Oh, but uh, that was an editor's note that they just decided to put in there. It's a disclaimer about how dangerous this shit is. So, oh, good God. Quote, a combination of factors are driving the market higher today, said analyst Dennis Vindic. I'm not pronouncing that. That's a Russian name. Okay. Dennis, Mr. Russian name, head of research for London-based digital asset firm Bequant. Specifically, he pointed to profit-taking flow in the options market as well as some degree of stabilization of the liquidity considerations or conditions with the cost of liquidity continuing to come off the extreme levels observed over the recent sessions, end quote. He also spoke to the vastly different performance of Bitcoin and stocks, which have been falling together recently. Quote, while Bitcoin may have been trading in lockstep with risk assets, and in particular, the S&P 500, it is not the first time that the digital asset has established some degree of correlation to traditional assets, said Mr. Russian last name. Every time this correlation proved to be short-lived, this deviation is another win for an asset that prides itself on its non-correlated and asymmetric performance, Mr. Russian last name said. Catherine Coley, CEO of Binance.us, also weighed on the recent changes in the global asset markets, quote, <coughs> Corona <coughs> virus. <clears throat> Last week's nosedive in crypto markets was part of the universal rush to cash among investors in response to unprecedented panic and uncertainty. But Bitcoin's appeal as a safe haven and deflationary asset is once more apparent amid the raft of fiscal and monetary stimulus from governments and central banks around the world, reminding investors just how precarious the existing financial system really is. And I'm going to make an aside here. Wait till we see just how precarious uh, the existing legal framework is when they panic and start trying to ban the, uh, Bitcoin. Okay. You think the financial markets are precarious right now, right? Well, wait till we see just how precarious the legal system is. Because I have a tendency to believe that the world banks, 
world central banks in lockstep with the world governments and military assets will come into play. I, I don't know exactly how, <laughs> but I get the, I don't know. I get the feeling that we're going to see an unprecedented failure in the control that governments have over a mass amount of people. I think a mass amount of people are going to stand up and say, fuck you. And no, you're not taking my Bitcoin. And no, I don't believe you that you can, you know, when you say that you're going to ban it, I don't believe you when you say that you're going to find out that I've been using it. I don't believe you that you're going to do when you say that you're going to do anything about Bitcoin. I don't believe it. I think you're screwed. That's what I think. Continuing, Paolo Arduino, CTO of Bitfinex and Tether, took a different tack, describing recent events as providing validation for the entire space. Quote, the blockchain industry can and will survive through tremulous current events. The current situation shows that the global economy needs transparency and blockchain. No, it actually just needs Bitcoin. You cannot keep printing money out of thin air, leaving our children to pick up the debt. Bitcoin is the answer. All right, so that's Forbes, all right? Now, that ain't the only mainstream thing that's going on right here. Markets at, well, this the Business Insider, their markets.businessinsider.com site has this one going on. This is from Callum Burroughs, and this was written sometime this morning. Bitcoin price Rockets 23% as investors look for a new safe haven. The crypto king is on fire. Oh, Lord have mercy. Now, a reminder that this is Business Insider. This is not the, da this is not the daily hodl. It's not Brave New Coin. It's not Coindesk. It's not CryptoSlate. It's not CoinSpeaker. It's, it's not any crypto outlet. Dude, this is Business Insider right off of the heels of reading Forbes about Bitcoin and what it's doing, so let's do this one. Cryptocurrencies have seen a remarkable resurgence as investors flock to relative safe havens amid a flurry of quantitative easing measures by global central banks. Central banks, including the ECB, the Federal Reserve, and the Bank of England, have announced asset purchase schemes in recent days. A Bitcoin, a finite cryptocurrency with only 21 million units in existence, has seen a 23% one-day surge. Bitcoin is currently up 21%. As of 10, 10 a.m. in London, which is 6, 10 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time per Coindesk. The cryptocurrency has been down 30% year to date amid a sell-off fueled by market uncertainty about the outbreak of coronavirus. However, investors may be looking to digital currencies in the wake of easing measures elsewhere. Other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, XRP, and Bcash all saw major reversals by more than 15% over the same period. Quote, when it comes to Bitcoin, the crypto king is on fire and we haven't or we have seen a decent rally, said Naeem Aslam, chief marketing analyst of have a trade in a morning note, quote, given the fact that the price has crossed the $6,000 mark, an important level of resistance, the upward momentum is likely to pick up the pace. And if the price crosses the 200-day moving average on a daily time frame, it would be a huge buy signal. Uh, this is not investment advice from these guys or me, but I just be clear. Volumes at cryptocurrency exchanges have jumped with Coinbase, Bitstamp, and Bitfinex combined seeing a 19% bump in 24-hour exchange volume, according to data aggregator CryptoCompare. So even the volume is surging as well as the price. So do we really know what's going on? No. And if you tell me that you do know what's going on, I know that you're lying. We have zero idea what's going on. We can, we can conjecture, okay? Well, honestly, we, we can definitely conjecture about this stuff. But I think it would be a better play to just wait and see how this uh, uh, plays out before we start, you know, uh, tagging Peter Schiff in in all of our tweets. Okay, let's 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 be nice about this kind of thing, all right? Because we we don't know what's going to happen next. But this we do know that this is going to happen next. The Federal Reserve is going to start scraping the bottom of the barrel. Oh, I'm sorry. No, what I meant to say was. The Federal Reserve is expanding its asset purchases to include municipal bonds. <laughs> yeah, Akron, Ohio. Uh, we're we're going to buy your, your pothole fixing bonds. Jesus. I mean, does it get worse? 
Honestly, I mean, does it get any worse than Muni's? <laughs> oh my God. Jeff Cox is writing this March the 20th. That would, well, clearly that would be today. And this is CNBC.com. The Federal Reserve said Friday it would extend its asset purchase program into short-term <laughs> municipal bonds. Oh God. Oh, where? Uh, hold on. I, I'm just going to have to sell, sell, sell. Yeah. Thus far, the central bank has limited its efforts to treasuries and mortgage-backed securities in effort to keep liquidity flowing through the system and to stabilize credit markets. However, continued disruption in the markets for state and local government debt promoted the Fed to take further action in its efforts to combat coronavirus effects. The market for munis this week has all but collapsed with few willing to step in and buy the government debt in the uncertainty of the current climate. In a statement, the Fed said the move is to enhance the liquidity and functioning of crucial state and municipal money markets. The program will work through the Money Market Mutual Fund liquidity facility announced earlier this week and offers an expansion of what had been a financial crisis era program authorizing purchases of other assets. Expanding into munis is something that did not happen during the crisis. Let me say that again. Expanding into munis is something that did not happen during the crisis. Do I need to read that a third time? The Boston Fed will lend to eligible banks and other financial institutions that will be able to use single state and other tax-exempt munis as collateral. Maturities can't exceed 12 months. An ETF that tracked munis, the PIMCO, Immediate uh, Intermediate Mutual uh, Municipal Bond Active, rose 1.1% after the Fed release. Jeez. The Fed had previously announced a $700 billion asset purchase regime involving $500 billion in treasuries and the remainder in MBS. Oh, man. Okay. Again, scraping the absolute bottom of the barrel, the Federal Reserve is going to start purchasing city debt. I don't, I honestly don't know how, how much worse that can get. That seems really bad, right? But good news, Bitfinex calls 87 token pairs against Bitcoin and Ethereum. Bitfinex has decided to remove nearly a hundred trading pairs, but strangely, a few oddballs survived. I wonder why. Daniel Phillips, writing for Decrypt.co sometime this morning, says Hong Kong-based cryptocurrency exchange Bitfinex will be removing a total of 87 trading pairs from March 26, 2020. According to the announcement, 87 trading pairs were chosen for removal due to having low liquidity. Bitfinex hopes that the removal will produce a more streamlined and optimized trading experience for its users. The removal will see Bitfinex's 368 active trading pairs decrease to 281 and will remove all available trading pairs for dozens of shitcoins. Oh, of course, they spell it altcoins, but that's wrong. Quote, the removal of these trading pairs will serve to consolidate and improve liquidity on Bitfinex. The announcement said the vast majority of trading pairs scheduled for removal are Ethereum pairs, with Ethereum losing more than 50 trading pairs. Some of the most notable pairs due for delisting include Dether, DTH, Dragon Chain, Singularity Net, and Bancor. That's actually kind of surprising. I, I, I don't know. I mean, they're all shitcoins, so I, I don't really care. But beyond this, the euro and the pound will see their verge trading pairs axed. <laughs> Although Bitfinex is cutting pairs to improve liquidity for its remaining assets, the exchange has seen its global trading volume climb significantly in recent months, climbing from under 50 million per day in December of 2019 to over 400 million as of today. However, according to the statistics provided by CoinGecko, more than two-thirds of Bitfinex's trading pairs achieved less than $10,000 in trading volume per day, while around half see less than $1,000 per day. Why do you think that is? Some of the platform's least liquid assets have avoided the cull and will remain in operation, including some trading pairs, uh, e.g., what the hell is this? iExec, RLC, I don't know what that is. I've never even heard of that that have less than $100 traded per day and spreads of more than 50%, but for how long? I don't, 
I don't know. Though I mean, if the markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay liquid, guess how? Guess how shit coins work? I don't just oh god. Okay, now getting uh into a little bit of the coronavirus uh, panic here. We have this one out of Decrypt.co. This is Will Heisman uh, saying folding at home now has 400,000 users fighting coronavirus. We're fighting crime, bro. Viral research firm folding at home has revealed a 100 or 1,200% uptick in its user base following coronavirus fears. Bitcoin miners are helping too. Okay. Folding at home is not a viral research firm. Okay. It, dude. God, I guess I'm going to have to do a whole piece on what folding at home actually is, but I'm not going to do it right here. We'll maybe, maybe I'll insert something into the pod today or something or do it on Monday. Um, no, it's not a viral research firm. It's about proteins. Okay. It's about proteins. Hundreds of thousands of PC owners are donating their CPU power to help fight the coronavirus. Within a Reddit AMA last night, Folding at Home noted a 1,200% increase in volunteers since the coronavirus outbreak. Quote, we had about 30,000 users before the pandemic started. In the past two weeks, 400,000 volunteers have joined Folding at Home, said Director Greg Bowman. On February the 27th, Folding at Home revealed their latest project, a coronavirus-centric research effort harnessing a global computer network. The project aims to use the combined compute power of thousands of people around the world to formulate pharmaceutical drugs in the combat against the coronavirus. While some drugs have been suggested and promoted by Elon Musk and President Trump, they have not been officially approved yet. Also, jumping into the folding at home fray is Ethereum mining company CoreWeave. The firm redirected 6,000 mining rigs to aid its coronavirus project. Speaking to Coindesk, CoreWeave co-founder Brian Venturo noted that the donated rigs make up a, a, a significant 0.2% of Ethereum's total hash rate, capable of generating up to 28 ETH per day, which is about four grand US dollars. Quote, their research had profound impacts on the development of frontline HIV defense drugs, Ventura said. We are hoping our compute power will aid in the fight against coronavirus. Graphics game card manufacturer NVIDIA also heeded the call, urging gamers around the globe to unite and donate unused processing power. CPU producer Intel quickly jumped on the bandwagon as well. As reported by Decrypt, the message soon reached cryptocurrency community despite the recent crypto market cave-in and an unquestionable loss in profitability. A spate of Bitcoin miners joined the fight against the coronavirus. I feel it would make Satoshi proud to know that the little community he seeded grew into something that would be brave enough to take on the monsters of this world in more ways than one, a Bitcoin miner stated on Reddit. It's actually a nice little sentiment there, you know? If Bitcoin mining is going to seriously damage the environment, it might as well cure a pandemic while it's at it. If you want to get involved, head over to the Folding at Home site to find out how to contribute. That's actually kind of interesting because we are we are boiling the oceans, or are we? I mean, be careful with with the negative rhetoric around mining because it just ain't so, all right? Just... Stop it, people. Stop, stop. All right, that Okay, speaking of stopping, that's going to do it for uh, round one of the morning roundup. We're going to go into vital statistics next. Well, they were up, but now they're down and or flat. Major indices here from uh, CNBC. I've got... The S&P 500 down half a percent. NASDAQ is up a third of a percent. Uh, the Dow Jones is down a third of a percent. And the FTSE is up two thirds of a percent. I mean, if it's if that ain't flat as shit, I don't know what is. Let's see what uh, the rest of this crap is doing. Bonds are all down. I've got the, uh, although the 30-year is yielding 1.5. That's actually not... Well, I was about to say that's not bad, but no, that's fucking horrible. I mean, come on, let's be real. Let's not lie to each other. Oil is at $24.5. That is a 2.5% change. Gold is up $6.03. That is a half a percent change to the upside. 
its last is 1485 but do remember that is paper gold prices if you try to go buy actual physical gold somewhere at a you know bullion shop or something like that you will not be paying that price you will be paying a hell of a premium above that price and that's even if you can get uh if even if they have Peter Schiff's pet rock in stock uh Okay. And again, I don't hate gold. I don't hate precious metals. Just because I like Bitcoin better doesn't mean that I hate gold. I just think that gold has its its place. Now, let's just say it that way. Gold has its place. Bitcoin has its place. If I want to move a billion dollars of gold around the world, it's going to take probably months and is going to cost millions of dollars. Whereas with Bitcoin, I can do that same movement for pennies, not pennies on the dollar of that cost. No, actual pennies. I probably would be able to do that trade if I'm willing to wait. I could probably do that trade for 80 cents and have it in Beijing within two or three hours. Even if it was just, even if it was a whole day. Think about that, man. It's not, like I said, it's not that I hate gold. It's that gold has its place and Bitcoin has a completely different place. We have the price of Bitcoin speaking of at 6,450. Looks like that's going to be the high and it looks like our low is going to be where, where's your low at? Got to be a low somewhere around here. P2P, B2B has it listed at 6,381. Still a pretty tight range. Only 264,000 transactions have been made in the last 24 hours. However, which means that only 11,000 transactions are being made on average per hour, but 1.4 million BTC have been sent in that past 24 hours with an average being sent per hour of 60,000 BTC while the action tra average transaction value is five and a quarter BTC. The median transaction value is 0 0.7 or 0 0.074, which is about 475 bucks US. My uh, block mining times are extraordinarily high. It's 14 minutes. I've, I don't believe I've ever seen a, a block time that high before, but it, it, yeah, it doesn't surprise me right now. 0 0.75 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis and wait for it. 76 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a decrease in hash rate, as you imagine, of three and a half percent. That brings us down well under 100 exahashes to 85.15 exahashes per second. And the last time no one did dick on get, uh, on Bitcoin was sometime yesterday, according to the GitHub core repository. Ethereum is at 139, Bcash at 231, BSV at 169, Litecoin at 40, Ethereum Classic is at five, I don't know, five and a quarter. Dogecoin has increased to 0 0.0019 at 34,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. It's beating both... Ethereum Classic and Litecoin. Now, my node, let's see what my node says the hash rate actually is, because I am just going to believe my node more than anything else. And it's pretty close. 84 and a half exahashes per second with a pretty stacked up mempool, 40.73 megabytes representing 25,000 unconfirmed transactions. And over the last 10 blocks, I've got all, most of the block, actually all the blocks are full. I don't see any chicanery with the mining pools, mining empty blocks or anything like that. Let's see what Clark has to say about the Lightning Network. And capacity has increased again. 907.79 BTC is the total capacity in the Lightning Network representing $5.83 million US in liquidity. And we have 6,577 nodes with a total number of channels of 36,080. The Tor capacity is 365 BTC, representing 40.2% in Tor. And the number of Tor nodes is holding at 1,900. That's gonna do it for Vital Statistics.
Welcome to the Snooze You Can Use Part 2s, bro. This is Morning Roundup. NBA's Spencer Dinwiddie teams up with Bitcoin Lending Service. Dinwiddie, who's tried to tokenize his NBA contract, wants fans to get into the crypto lending game while he's sidelined. I don't think that this is good, but Robert Stevens is writing for Decrypt.co sometime this morning. As the coronavirus keeps him off the court and in self-isolation, Spencer Dinwiddie, the basketball player who in January tokenized his contract with the NBA, is using his clout to push his fans into the arms of a licensed, decentralized lending service, CRED. Jesus. Street CRED. Through the partnership announced today, NBA fans can earn up to 10% interest on cryptocurrencies they own, among them Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum from the Spencer Dinwiddie and Cred Partnership website. Interest can be paid in fiat or cryptocurrency. The partnership is no different than Cred's usual offering. Stake some crypto and the company will turn it into cash and loan it out elsewhere. Users receive the interest on the principal as well as their original stake, minus a cut taken by cred, and any partner companies such as the Litecoin Foundation, TrueUSD, and Bitcoin.com. Scum. Cred builds the system and handles the legal compliance and customer service. The difference here is that it's integrated directly into Dinwiddie's fan page and that Dinwiddie's cut goes towards the Dinwiddie Family Foundation, a charitable fund that provides college scholarships to disadvantaged and at-risk youth. Dinwiddie who in January tokenized his NBA contract for the Brooklyn Nets on the Ethereum blockchain, said in a statement that he hopes to educate my fans on the power of cryptocurrencies and blockchain while they earn interest on their digital assets. Jesus, sounds like a fucking Ginsu knife commercial. The, the, sorry, that includes providing his own real-time response to the current economic downturn. Tried to tell y'all, he tweeted today. The basketball star, 26, is currently in self-isolation after several members of his team, including Kevin Durant, tested positive for COVID-19. Following outbreaks within the league, all NBA games have been postponed indefinitely. Dan Schatt, CEO of Cred, I guess he took a shat, told Decrypt that crypto can be very insular. Dinwiddie, a world-famous athlete who's knowledgeable about blockchain, is the perfect spokesperson here. He's really the guy pushing the envelope in most of professional sports. That's not actually true. Shat is quick to point out that Dinwiddie is going to be educating people on stable coins, (laughs) which are much less volatile than cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin because they are pegged to fiat currencies. Shat said the player isn't pushing people toward investing in Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency whose price last week was cut in half. Yeah, okay, whatever. Jeez, God, I think he's being very, very responsible in how he's educating his fan base, said Shat. Dinwiddie is making it easy for his fans to get educated and get access. Nonetheless, stablecoins are something of a gateway drug to other cryptocurrencies. Stablecoins, which can generate 3 to 5% in interest on cred, can be traded for Bitcoin, which can earn interest rates of up to 10%. Using stablecoins to entice NBA fans into buying riskier and more volatile cryptocurrencies isn't irresponsible, he said, because though unfortunate Bitcoin holders lost half of their money last week, cryptocurrencies will weather the storm better than other assets like gold or oil. I think this store of value argument is real and is responsible and is factual, and oh my God, shut up. If Dinwiddie's hoop dreams come true, why can't creds? I don't know, because you're thieves. Because I I almost can see the future. A decrypt article months from now that says, an exit scam has occurred at cred, and everybody lost all of their shit. Or cred gets sued by the SEC because they, I don't know, are being a money transmitter and, and got allowed themselves to have an address where people can go, hello, we're here to arrest your ass because, you know, decentralization just doesn't make a difference in these people's minds. All this is, I, I swear, I, I shit you not, this entire thing reads like an advertisement for cred. And that's really, in my opinion, irresponsible of decrypt to allow this thing to be written and not edited in a way that that makes it look like an ad. I'm sorry. That's just the way that shit is. But video games and conference tools, 
the tech benefiting from COVID-19. This is Brave New Coin. Let's see if they act responsibly here. Kieran Smith is writing on the 19th of March. While global markets fall, some tech sectors are switching on from critical business software to entertainment for quarantine citizens. These stay-at-home technologies are surging as the coronavirus spreads. Yeah, I imagine that. While isolated gamers fight their own virtual battles on the front lines of the fight against the virus in hospital wards, doctors are connecting with patients remotely via telemedicine platforms. And on a larger scale, in the home offices of locked-down cities across the world, white-collar workers are newly reliant on web conferencing and collaboration tools, Skype, Slack, WeChat work, and Zoom to stay productive. Business apps have been booming with global downloads jumping from 1.4 million across both the App Store and Google Play at the beginning of January to 6.7 million in the first week of March, according to an analytics firm, Sensor Tower. That's like a four and a half fold increase. My God. Zoom Video Communications has emerged as a front runner amid the crisis, with the daily active user base growing by 67% since early January, according to data from. Aptopia, the social distancing regime that is rapidly becoming the new global normal is moving more of life online. Instead of picking up groceries on a crowded high street or supermarket, shoppers are ordering products on the internet, leading e-commerce to surge. Amazon alone reports having to recruit 100,000 extra workers to cope with the coronavirus-induced demand, demand for toilet paper. In place of gym trips, the quarantined are streaming fitness classes to their home, leading to increased demand for subscription-based online workout systems. To capitalize on this, one cycling platform, Peloton Interactive, has introduced a 90-day free trial. Of course. Because none of us apparently can figure out how to not to make a buck on tragedy. Oh, well. And to break the monotony of staying home all week, those stuck indoors are escaping into virtual worlds, video games, online game marketplace, Steam hit an all-time high in the number of users online during the weekend of March 14, and strategy games mimicking the virus situation have been given a new lease on life. Pandemic 2, a browser-based Flash game released in 2008, is one such game that has reported a spike in the number of users. This morbid brand of entertainment has even extended into the crypto world. Here we go. From the developers of CoronaCoin, a macabre cryptocurrency that burns tokens in a bid to boost their value each time someone dies of the virus, we have Plague ETH. This makes use of the token in an Ethereum-based strategy game where the winner infects the most people. Meanwhile, as experts predict a baby boom from the coronavirus quarantine, a crypto collectible game named Corona Babies is trying to capitalize on the virus. Corona Babies are infected bat illustrations that have begun trading on Ethereum. But while an Icelandic bat named Rune might have recently changed hands for 1.2 ETH, the idea hasn't yet taken off, and some in the community have termed the project amoral. Another section of the economy, like toilet paper and surgical masks, that is unfortunately buoyed by the virus. Okay, yeah. Again, making a buck off this. Okay, if you do it on accident or if you do it through no marketing, you know, through yourself or of yourself, okay, I get it. I mean, it's like, I, I like let's say I've been a toilet paper maker for 100 years. Does that make me suck because I'm sold out of toilet paper and I, I I literally have to scale up my production facilities to make more toilet paper? No, not really. Now, if I had like made an advertisement with a you know on TV and and every radio and every other outlet possible, clearly including the internet, that said, "Without my toilet paper, you're going to die," or every time you wipe your ass, get some some cred and and loan out your bitcoin at a higher rate then yeah you're freaking immoral i mean that's just just a horrible state of affairs that humans can prey on each other this way without even blinking is i mean but it's it's not like it's changed okay it's not like i'm waking up to this fact this shit's been going on forever and humans just treat each other like piss all the time 
Speaking of, Bank of England cancels stress test for UK banks. Are they too afraid to fail? Anatole Anatovici is writing on for Bitcoinist.com sometime this morning. On Friday, the Bank of England and the Prudential Regulation Authority canceled the 2020 stress test of eight major British banks and building societies. Citing the emergency situation amid the coronavirus outbreak, this is another example of how governments are supporting the banking system while the crypto market is on its own. Every year, the central bank checks whether the major banks are strong enough to resist a financial crisis. Specifically, the BOE calculates if the tested banks hold sufficient capital (laughs) to withstand a hypothetical crisis and are able to absorb losses. However, given that the coronavirus uh, pandemic has already triggered a real crisis, the central bank found it unnecessary to hold the annual test scheduled for the end of this month. But are the banks really prepared for the worst? The list of banks that should have been under review include Barclays, HSBC, Royal Bank of Scotland, and Lloyds Bank, among others. Uh, Remember, Barclays was totally involved in the 2008 thing. Their exposure was pretty grand. The BOE's decision to skip this year's test comes a week after the European Union regulators delayed their 2020 stress test and eased capital rules. Eased? Freaking erased. You are missing. You are missing an R in that word, bro. The EU test would have checked both Barclays and HSBC. In light of the EU's decision, British banks required the BOE to ignore its test with executives saying that it would be stupid to run a stress test during a stress. Let's concentrate on the situation rather than a hypothetical one. The exact executives also asked the BOE to lift a newly introduced accounting rule called IR or sorry, IFRS9, which requires banks to book bad loans before the losses are actually incurred. Can I just read that sentence one more time, please? The executives have asked the Bank of England to lift a newly introduced accounting rule which requires banks to book bad loans before the losses are actually incurred. I'm just going to let that one lay right there. Given the current virus outbreak, the UK is facing a sharp economic decline which increases the number of bad loans. The central bank said that it continues to consider the potential interaction of COVID-19 with IFRS 9 and expects to provide further guidance to firms regarding our approach next week. While the Bank of England hasn't decided on the IFRS rule yet, the central bank canceled the test. It said that the previous one showed that the banking system was resilient to deep stimulus, sorry, was resilient to deep simultaneous recessions in the UK and global economies that are more severe overall than the global financial crisis combined with large falls in asset prices and a separate stress of misconduct costs. Misconduct is factored in there as a cost of doing business. Misconduct. Misfeasance. Okay. Sorry. However, the last year's test showed that the situation was already deteriorating at the banks. The BOE's report for 2019 reads, quote, losses on corporate exposure are higher than in previous tests, reflecting some deterioration in asset quality and a more severe global scenario despite this and weakness in the bank's underlying profitability, which reduces their ability to offset losses with earnings. All seven participating banks and building societies remain above their hurdle rates, end quote. Those who invested in the stocks of major banks should know that their resilience during a crisis comes at the expense of significant cuts in dividend payments, employee remuneration, and coupon payments. This comes on top of the major decline in the stock prices caused by the panic. Given the double standards of the financial world, even if the UK banking system wouldn't be resilient enough, the government would save it. That's how it worked during the previous global crises. Elsewhere, the crypto market is on its own. During the last few days, the BOE and the British government, led by Prime Minister Boris Johnson, have taken unprecedented measures to stimulate the shaking economy amid the COVID-19 pandemic and the Brexit transition period. Yesterday, the central bank cut the interest rate to a record low of 0.1%. At the beginning of the month, the rate was 0.75%. Jesus. Holy crap, man. 
That's bad. Meanwhile, the government announced a major package of financial stimulus, which in total is the equivalent to 15% of the country's gross domestic product. Oh, my, have mercy. God, crypto taxpayers get temporary relief from IRS, though. Okay, back, in, back across the pond over here in the United States, we got Trevor Smith writing for the Bitcoinist.com sometime yesterday as a result of the COVID-19 outbreak. Americans will be given an extra 90 days to pay their taxes without interest or penalties. This move will likely impact crypto investors, many of whom will owe as a result of trade activity in 2019. The payment extension permits individuals to defer payments and interest of up to $1 million until July the 15th. Businesses can defer up to $10 million. This unprecedented move has been taken in light of the growing economic hardships much of the public is experiencing. Several states have also granted deferments with more expected to follow suit. This deferment is welcome news to many crypto investors who need time to sort out their tax liabilities. The IRS presently defines cryptocurrency as property, making each trade a taxable event, even if it does not involve dollars. As such, traders must provide information and appropriate payment for each and every trade they make. It is worth noting that April 15th remains the filing deadline. This must be met in order to, for tax returns to be processed. Typically, the IRS automatically grants six-month extensions, albeit with penalties that have not been waived. Taxpayers thus still have a strong incentive to file on time, even if they cannot immediately pay what they owe. The government has noted that it may make more changes to this year's filing requirements. Also, leaders are considering other forms of economic relief. Like all government institutions, the IRS has experienced significant disruption with thousands of employees remaining home from work. Although tax returns continue to be processed on time, general productivity has been significantly reduced. The agency has made clear its desire to establish new guidelines for cryptocurrency reporting, yet it is safe to assume work on this task has been paused in light of the current health crisis. The same is likely true for regulatory entities, such as the Securities and Exchange Commission, which has its own issues to resolve over the status of blockchain assets. Traders should not assume that the current challenges facing the IRS freeze them from their tax liabilities. The tax, sorry, the tax agency has been increasing its steps to collect crypto-related taxes and will no doubt move more aggressively into the space once things return to normal. Given the importance of the issue, crypto advocates and investors should expect the now well-known cryptocurrency question on the revised 1040 to be the first of many, many steps intended to ensure full tax compliance. Uh, good heavens. <sighs> what an uptick in CoinJoin says about Bitcoin's value proposition. This is your favorite, uh, Lee Kuhn, writing March 20th for Coindesk. With the global economy reeling from the coronavirus crisis, Bitcoiners are increasingly turning to crypto wallets with privacy features. A masking feature called CoinJoin batches transactions together, so it's harder to identify specific participants. Some refer to it as mixing, but others dislike that term for its associations with money laundering. The Bitcoin-centric Samurai Wallet, a suite of apps that operates without the involvement of a central custodian, facilitated more batched transactions so far in March than any other month since the feature was first released on desktop last summer. According to Bitcoin podcaster Matt O'Dell, Yo, Matt, what up? The competing Wasabi Wallet is currently the most popular coin join option with 3,769 downloads since March the 3rd, followed by Samurai Wallet, then Join Market. Odell said Samurai's addition of Whirlpool mobile support in February 2020 was a game changer. Quote, mobile support is a huge step forward in user experience, Odell said. He continues, all Bitcoin users should be encouraged to use CoinJoin, otherwise they expose their transaction history to those they pay and those who pay them. By his tally, the number of coin join cycles run through Whirlpool this month is 4,758, more than double the number in February. Samurai Wallet said in a statement that the team collaborative transaction, or the, sorry, the term collaborative transaction is more accurate than the colloquial mixing because transactions happen directly between users. 
Quote, this is a fundamentally different proposition than custodial tumblers or mixers like Helix, said Samurai Wallet, referring to the service that landed its creator in legal trouble with the United States Department of Justice last month. However, it's tricky for new Bitcoiners to use such privacy tech because many exchanges like Coinbase, Binance, or even smaller exchanges like Bits of Gold flag mixing wallets as a sign of suspicious activity. Although Bits of Gold CEO Yuval Rausch said his exchange saw hundreds of new users over the past two weeks with new user signups up over 139%, they won't be able to cash out to Samurai Wallet. Quote, we see regulation not as a hurdle, but as a step forward towards mainstream adoption, Roush said, adding that regulators may consider mixing wallets a red flag and brokers should report those transactions to the anti-money laundering authorities. F- screw you. Okay, just F straight off. In the, in the U.S. attorney, Raphael Yacobi, what? Oh, in, sorry, in the U.S., Attorney Raphael Yacobi said such policies aren't necessary because he believes the financial crimes enforcement network's May 2019 guidance indicates non-custodial services are exempt from money transmitter requirements because they don't accept and transmit value on behalf of users. Quote, maintaining the privacy of your balances and ties to all past and future transactions, that's not suspicious. It's just a normal thing that people should be doing, Jacoby said. (laughs) All right, bro. Attorney Gabriel Shapiro is less certain about FinCEN's approach to non-custodial wallets with group transactions. Quote, money transmitter laws are very broad and powerful, Shapiro said. I am not confident that the mere fact that Samurai does group transactions on a non-custodial basis is sufficient to protect them from the ambit of financial regulations and quote, regardless of legal ambiguity in some jurisdictions, privacy tools are essential to Bitcoin's value proposition. Mm. I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm not going to say that it's not essential, but like, okay. It will want, I mean, Bitcoin's blockchain has always been transparent. Okay. It's always been transparent. Mixers came after, right? They came after. After the value proposition is not privacy, although that should be, we should lump that in at this point. We should be moving towards privacy, guys. I'm not, I'm not, I am not advocating for no privacy. What I'm saying is the essential value proposition of Bitcoin was the ability to transfer value or to communicate value from one person to another without anybody in the way and a set amount of coinage that will ever be printed. And that would be 21 million. That that's, that was why I got into this. I didn't necessarily get into this because I was going to be all private and therefore be able to do heinous things on the dark, on the dark net. And honestly, as much as people do have a tendency to suck, most people, they don't want to do bad things. That uh, honestly, most people don't. We get into situations where greed gets in our way, but even if greed gets in our way, are we going to sell children on the dark on the dark web? No, that is a very few, very few humans that, or actually, they're not even really human. Uh, but people that are masked as humans, uh, th- they do that. But that was not my entry. Okay, so when I when I see things that say privacy tools are essential. To the value proposition, I'm calling bullshit. I don't think it's essential at all. I do think it should be in there. I think that privacy should start being built in. But that's not why I got into it. So it can't be essential. If at least one person got into Bitcoin and didn't give a shit about the privacy, then it's not essential. It's ancillary. It's important. But it wasn't essential. And if you guys are pointing at me and wanting to kill me, I understand. But that's just, that's the way that I think about it. Continuing on, Bitcoin contributor James O'Burney said the coronavirus crisis is inspiring some Bitcoiners to question Bitcoin's core value proposition. Oh, bullshit. Quote, the inflation hedge use case becomes less compelling if Bitcoin's performance mirrors equities. Everyday investors are just, will just use what they've already familiar with, which is stocks, O'Burney said. 
Bitcoin has been prone to the same liquidity and do sell-offs that stocks have. It's been kind of sobering. I think that will continue as traditional markets continue to decline, end quote. <clears throat> Jesus. The price drop is essentially, especially relevant to businesses like miners and exchanges. If the Bitcoin price drops low and stays there, it will be less profitable for miners to power the network. Then, or sorry, quote, then all the commercial infrastructure of Bitcoin is generally going to require longer block confirmation times, O'Bernie said. If the security gets low enough in Bitcoin doing the final settlement might start taking as long as it does in the traditional system, then that big benefit of Bitcoin gets impaired. Again, this is my opinion, but O'Bernie, I, I just don't think he gets it. I'm serious. I mean... I don't, I don't know. I don't know, man. This is just weird. Lee Kuen is not my favorite author because of shit like this, but whatever. Bitcoin's perspective usage as an investment hedge or faster payment network remains unclear. Yes. Oh, God, stop it. But the censorship-resistant use case is still intact so far. According to a source with knowledge of the matter, there is a six-man effort to use cryptocurrency to buy supplies for a medical mask factory in Iran, a nation devastated by both economic sanctions and a coronavirus outbreak that claimed more than 1,284 Iranian lives so far. These rare cases using cryptocurrency to buy medicine or supplies despite compliance challenges do not appear to be a leading use case for the growing popularity of group transactions. When asked if they use such privacy tools, the Iranian factory source said he doesn't know what a mixer is and they've used just $1,000 worth of cryptocurrency, both Bitcoin and the stablecoin Tether, USDT. As Jacoby pointed out, many Bitcoiners around the world see batch transactions as a regular part of their privacy tech setup. Batching Bitcoin might be comparable to choosing not to write your name in ink on every dollar bill you accept or send. Since the Bitcoin blockchain is public, regular transactions state the user's address in simple, clear letters. Not writing your name is a good way to not attract stalkers or thieves down the line. O'Bernie said Bitcoin is still in its infancy, too immature as a technology to be useful for resisting law enforcement. Beyond fungibility, self-custody is still rare among Bitcoin enthusiasts. Jesus. Quote, in reality, maybe 0.1% of anybody is going to do that self-custody, O'Bernie said. But having this option is really important, end quote. Along those lines, Tel Aviv Bitcoin Embassy volunteer Sarah Weisner said batch transactions are becoming more important as governments like her own in Israel ramp up surveillance measures in the name of coronavirus containment. She sees learning about such privacy-focused wallets as a routine security step for the real circumstances that she lives in. Quote, a mixer is not enough. You also need to make your device somewhat safe from mass surveillance, Weisner said. With cash being banned or discouraged in Tel Aviv, using mixers will be much more important. And oh my God, that was really painful to read. Thank God we are now at the end of the morning roundup. Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Kelly Loeffler, the former CEO of Intercontinental Exchange subsidiary backed and current Republican senator from Georgia, reportedly sold millions in stock within days of a Senate Health Committee hearing on the novel coronavirus. this to the distinguished members of the panel. You lousy cork suckers. Yep, there's your smoldering pile. Let's go ahead and get into this one. This is Cointelegraph.com, and it is being written by Samuel Haig sometime last night, late. According to a report from Daily Beast on March the 20th, the Republican senator reported the first instance of stock jointly owned by her and her husband on January 24th the same day of the private briefing to United States Senator. Uh, in total, she and her husband reportedly executed 27 sales of various stocks throughout February, including sales of Residio Technology Share, which has since dropped by over 50%. During the same period, only two stock purchases were made by the Lawflers, comprising investments 
of between $100,000 and $250,000 into Citrix, a company that provides technologies for distributed workplace solutions. Citrix website states that the company is committed to providing the support you need to keep your employees safe and operations running throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite the stock transactions, Loeffler has consistently sought to instill confidence in the United States economy as the coronavirus pandemic has worsened. In response to public backlash for the share sales, Loeffler tweeted, quote, as confirmed in the periodic transaction report to Senate Ethics, I was informed of these purchases and sales on February the 16th, 2020, three weeks after they were made. She added, quote, this is a ridiculous and baseless attack. Uh, when they're in trouble, they always use the word baseless, huh? I do not make investment decisions for my portfolio. Investment decisions are made by multiple third-party advisors without my or my husband's knowledge or involvement. Well, it sounds like you can afford an actual financial uh, consultant because uh, none of that I've ever, ever, ever worked with has, I mean, th- I mean, I, dude, I held REITs some, okay? Some of my shit was in REITs right before 2008. I never got a call from anybody at Wells Fargo that, dude, we liquidated your REITs because... Have you seen the freaking news? And we bought you some of X. No. So these guys are lucky enough to actually have people that do things like pick up phones and look at computer screens and shit. So how lucky are you? However, Loeffler's tweet appeared to have done little to placate the public with Twitter user DTB by the sea writing, quote, cool, cool. I'm sure the $250,000 of stock you bought in the company that makes software to allow people to work from home was just a Crazy coincidence, end quote. Loeffler was appointed to the United States Senate during December, describing herself as pro-Second Amendment, pro-military, pro-wall, and pro-Trump. The chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Senator Richard Burr, a Republican from North Carolina, has also been criticized for reportedly selling a large volume of shares in the lead-up to the market's violent reaction to coronavirus on February the 13th. Burr purportedly sold between half a million and one and a half million dollars worth of stock in nearly 30 transactions. Senator Loeffler did not immediately respond to Cointelegraph's request for comment. Okay, so if you think it's just these two that are doing some wicked shit, I'm going to read you the first part of this Daily Mail. Why am I not going to read you the entire article? Because Daily Mail articles are like a freaking book. I don't know how they find these people that can just write all day long, but... Uh, hats off to him. But anyway, again, this is the Daily Mail, and this is by several authors, uh, Nikki Schwab and Chris Pleasance. Okay, yeah, just Nikki Schwab and Chris Pleasance, and they're doing this sometime yesterday. Four senators dumped millions of dollars worth of stock while Capitol Hill was being briefed on the threat of coronavirus, but before the markets tanked, as infections soared, disclosure records have revealed Republicans Richard Burr, Kelly Loeffler, James Inhofe, and Democrat Diane Feinstein collectively offloaded up to $11 million in stock between late January and early February, according to records seen by the Daily Beast, New York Times, and ProPublica. Burr, chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee that was directly briefed on coronavirus, sold up to $1.7 million in stock, including in hotels, according to reporting from ProPublica. Feinstein, a member of the same committee, sold up to $6 million in stock, including a biotech firm. Loeffler dumped up to $3.1 million in investment starting on the day of the Senate Health Committee, which she sits on, was briefed by the CDC. Meanwhile, James Inhofe sold up to $400,000 in stock, including real estate. Loeffler and Feinstein have defended themselves, saying that their stocks are invested in trust and portfolios that they have no personal control over. Inhofe has not commented. Burr's spokeswoman said in a statement to Daily Mail that Burr filed his financial disclosure form several weeks before the market showed volatility. The Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act prohibits members of Congress from insider trader trading based on classified information that they have received in briefings. And that's all you really need to know. So it's not just Loeffler and it's not just Republicans. This is everybody. And, you know, I, I was, I liked the idea when Loeffler got in because she was crypto friendly, 
but I don't like her now because she's a fucking scumbag. All these people are scumbags. Diane Feinstein is a scumbag. Richard Burr is a scumbag. Kelly Loeffler is a scumbag. James Inhofe is a scumbag. The carbon in their bodies would be better used on my grill to cook my steaks. Seriously. These people are not people. And this whole hiding behind the fact that a third party or a second party that is not themselves are doing the trading, I'd be very interested in seeing all of their tele, those firms' telecommunications on that day. All their emails. I want their phone records. I want everything. We're not going to get it. I'm certainly not going to be able to get it. But nobody else is going to get that shit either. In fact... We're going to forget about this, oh, I'd say in about 48 hours, and the scumbags will continue. If you still think that these people have your best interest in mind, I really want what you're smoking. I really do, because that kind of drug would do me, you know, some probably take off the, the edge of all the anxiety that I feel on a daily basis, having to coexist and breathe the same air as these motherfuckers. At one point or another, at one time or another, in one place or another, something's going to break free. Something's going to break loose and it's not going to be fun. And it will be driven by the fact that regular folk, regular people have just had enough of this bullshit. When that happens, I hope I am nowhere close to it. I hope that, well, actually, I'm, I'm actually nowhere close to it now. Nobody in a town of, you know, sub 20,000 is there's not going to be a riot, uh, you know, to like some, you know, one of the banks here. That's never going to happen here. That will happen in New York City. It'll happen in Houston, Dallas. It'll happen in Los Angeles, San Francisco. It'll happen in very large cities in Washington State. It'll happen in Washington, D.C., but it's not going to happen where I live. Just saying, if you can get the hell out, Get the hell out. That's going to do it for your smoldering power right over there in the corner. Dad says jokes on deck for Terrible Joke Corner. A guy named Bart walks into a bar. He immediately gets shot and dies. Who killed him? The bartender. Do I have to do it? Do, uh, I'm not going to do the sound effect because that one's just too good. It should stand alone all by itself, especially considering that this particular one is funny for everybody, right? I mean, well, unless you've never, you know, well, unless, well, okay. It's actually, it's actually funny for everybody, but it's for me as a Bitcoiner, it's especially funny because of the BART pattern. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then we enter into the realm of esotericism. And I've talked about esoteric jokes before, so I'm not going to do it here. Uh, let's go ahead and just uh, start winding episode 219 up with Chicken Report. Chickens, The chickens are getting big, bro. Okay, so um, it is now a little over, it's coming up on probably... Three, like, yeah, today is two weeks. Yeah, two weeks of having these chickens. Maybe three. Is it three? Yeah, I I think it, no, it is three. Yeah, that's right. It is, it's three weeks. And I have finally had to buy them another bag of food. So I can tell you right now that chick feed, medicated chick feed uh, for six chicks raising them uh for like you know two it took two weeks for them to go through five pounds of food so as we go through this we start kind of getting some clarity into what it takes how much things cost when you have to replace stuff how much they eat that kind of shit um so five pounds of food for six chickens in two weeks that's pretty or six chicks okay that as you're raising them from from hatchlings or whatever or well, whenever not hatchlings, they're usually a few days old by the time that you pick them up at, at tractor supply or get them in the mail or whatever. Yes, they mail chicks. I know it's freaking weird, but they've been doing it for a hundred years. I am not lying about that. The United States Postal Service 
has been engaged in delivering and transporting poultry in the form of baby chickens for over a hundred years. Honestly, I think that that's kind of cool. I really do. And I think as we get back uh, or as we go through this whole Corona thing, you know, maybe we'll find our way back to the things that made us great a long time ago. I'm not saying that we're not great now. I'm just saying that, I don't know, we got a lot of dickheads in the, not only in the United States, but honestly, it's around the world. It's like, it was, is the, who was the United States ever great? Well, of course, but there was a lot of countries that are great. Are we great right now? No, not really, but it's not just the United States. It's everybody. Everybody's acting like a complete asshole. Everybody, all governments, all central banks, all financial institutions, all of it. They're all acting like complete assholes. And yet somehow or another, we, we think it's okay to just stand up and defend them. When I, you know, bitch and moan about the central banking system, I, I will have anybody just come up to me and say, well, you can't say that because they did a lot of work. I don't give a fuck. I mean, I, I, I literally don't. If they were to disappear tomorrow, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't shed a tear. I would, it wouldn't matter to me. The only thing that I would do is possibly say, thank God. I mean, I don't like to do that against my fellow man, but at this point, I don't consider these people my fellow man. I really don't. They've been acting against the population of the world for so long, and they've somehow or another become so safe in their knowledge that that regular folks will stand up and defend their ass at every turn, no matter what they do. There will be a mass of the population that stands up and I don't know what cloak they, you know, or what cape as a superhero, this sector, the, any of these sectors of the human population will wear when they do this. Maybe they wear the Republican cloak. Maybe they wear the uh, Democrat cloak. Maybe they wear the I love Diane Feinstein and there's absolutely nothing that she can do that's ever wrong cloak. I don't know what cloak that they're wearing, but by God, they'll stand up there like a goddamn hero and defend these people, and it's just becoming, it's becoming sick. It's becoming sad. It's been that way for a long time, but I get the feeling that we are now seeing more and more and more people that are just regular people get it, finally get it through their heads that we we are nothing but cattle, and that our existence grazing in the fields that is the world has done nothing but enrich a very, very few people. And I am just not interested in defending these people anymore. So Diane Feinstein, fuck off and die. Sorry. That's just the way that I feel about it. I'll see you guys on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.